Chapter 6 Speaking to Listen Strive to re-express a truth of God to yourself clearly and understandably, and God will use that same explanation when you share it with someone else. But you must be willing to go through God's wine press where the grapes are crushed. You must struggle, experiment, and rehearse your words to express God's truth clearly. Oswald Chambers When I was a senior in high school, the computer, which in those days was just a step above an abacus, accidentally placed me in the honors English class taught by Mr. Mitchell. Mr. Mitchell was in love with the sound of the English language. He read aloud to us in a fit of ecstasy, and he shared his joy by forcing us to read out loud to the rest of the class. From Shakespeare to Mark Twain to Oscar Wilde, Mr. Mitchell took great delight when we read books out loud in class, especially as we added accents to characters or spoke with Twain's Mississippi Twang. We all tried reading aloud with varying success, often with hilarious results. I was once asked to read aloud a passage that contained the Native American tribal name S-I-O-U-X. Most of my normal reading was personal and private. I always vocalized the words, but I did so silently in my head. So my pronunciations came from how I read the word in my mind. And my head pronunciations were often incorrect. In the classroom, I boldly pronounced S-I-O-U-X as Psyox and continued reading. About a sentence later, I heard a snort behind me. I turned just in time to see Mr. Mitchell bury his face in a handkerchief. At first, I thought something was wrong. His cheeks were burning, his nose was running, and I swear spittle was dribbling down his chin. Soon, I realized he was laughing, laughing harder than I had ever seen him. Laughing at me. When he finally got himself under control, which took an indecently long time, he stammered, and then he burst out laughing again. He repeated this trial and error several times and finally managed to stutter, Sue, Sam, Sue, like the woman's name, Sue, not Psyox. And then he burst out laughing again. I didn't appreciate his sense of humor, but I also never mispronounced Psyox again. Mr. Mitchell taught us writing from a small book called The Elements of Style. In it, one of the authors instructed, quote, If you don't know how to pronounce a word, say it loud. Why compound ignorance with inaudibility? End of quote. I gave Mr. Mitchell a chance to rethink those instructions. Murmur God's Law Ever since David quieted the spirit of Saul with songs, the book of Psalms has instructed believers on how to converse with God in prayer. Through Psalms, we learn how to praise, repent, share our anger and confusion, question our souls, and see God. The very first Psalm, however, is different from the subsequent 149. It reads more like it was written for the book of Proverbs than for Psalms. It's not praise, confession, anger, or confusion— 
Rather, Psalm 1 is a meditation, a meditation on the value of meditation. It's almost like the compiler of Psalms made a mistake. He meant to use those verses to introduce the book of Proverbs, but his computer, which was a step below an abacus, accidentally saved them to introduce the Psalms. Could that be? Could the compiler have made a simple printing error? Or could it be that God, the master Psalm compiler, deliberately started the book of Psalms with a meditation? That is, Could God be speaking to us about the nature of prayer when he introduces psalms with a meditation? Psalm 1 begins, Blessed, happy, content, fulfilled, is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night? Verses 1 and 2. The psalm begins by declaring that the people who are most blessed are the people who meditate. The Hebrew word for meditate means to murmur, to speak quietly to oneself, to utter, or to make sounds. By implication, it means to muse or ponder in the heart. As Augustine himself once reflected, he who thinks certainly speaks in his heart. But we don't speak to our heart about just anything. The blessed, most happy person is the one who murmurs in his heart all the words of God. Psalm 1 instructs us to meditate on God's law. But here law refers to all of Scripture. And the meditation of murmuring his words is a primary method for recognizing God's voice in Scripture. I once had a boss who seemed incapable of explaining his directions. On one occasion, he said, quote, I want you to change the taxonomy of our metadata. End quote. I thought I knew what he meant, but I wasn't sure, so I asked for clarification. Do you want me to reorganize our online help? He answered by repeating his original command word for word perfectly, only he raised his voice a dozen decibels. Sometimes we need to use other words in order to understand the original language. C.S. Lewis wanted everyone to learn how to explain deep spiritual truths with normal words. He wrote, quote, I have come to the conclusion that if you cannot translate your thoughts into everyday language, then your thoughts were confused. Power to translate is the test of having really understood, end of quote. Einstein agreed and added color when he said, quote, You do not really understand something unless you can explain it to your grandmother. End of quote. Part of scriptural meditation is learning to explain the words of the Bible to the grandmother in all of us. One of the best ways to meditate on scripture and therefore to hear God is to quietly speak God's words back to him in our own language. In other words, we paraphrase the Bible. We don't do this to create new scripture. Rather, in speaking God's words back to him in our own language, we express out loud our understanding. Sometimes his spirit in our spirit tells us 
We just said Syox. And sometimes his spirit in ours says, well done, good and faithful servant. Write your own paraphrase. The following is the process I've learned over the years. I begin by repeating the original verse in my usual translation. I even say it out loud. Albeit in a whisper, I don't want my wife to think I'm getting crazier. As I repeat the words, I ponder the meaning of each word, sometimes just repeating a phrase. Next, I look at two or three other translations of the verse, and I speak those translated words as well, sometimes out loud and sometimes just in my mind. My usual translation is the English Standard Version, ESV, but my meditation library also includes the American Standard Version, the International Standard Version, the King James Version, the New International Version, the New Living Translation, and the Message, a popular paraphrase of the entire Bible. A great online resource is BibleHub.com. You search for a particular verse, and the site offers about 20 different translations. I examine several translations. The diversity of words chosen by the variety of translators helps me begin to see the truth of God. After reading a few translations, I write my own paraphrase. For example, while meditating on Ephesians I recently got stuck, in a good way, on a few verses near the beginning. Here is how the ESV translates Ephesians 1.5, beginning with a couple words from the end of verse 4. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. But look how other versions render the same passage, the King James having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, the new living. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. The message. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. The differences in the translations inspired my meditation. They made me ponder the essential truth of God's word. The ESV said it was according to God's, quote, purpose, end of quote, while the King James said it was his, quote, good pleasure, end of quote. And while the ESV mentioned his, quote, will, end of quote, the New Living said he wanted to do it, because the word for will can also be translated desire. So here is my current paraphrase. Out of his love, God chose, long before the earth was formed, to adopt us, Me too, as his sons into his family through Jesus Christ. He adopted us because he wanted to, and it gave him pleasure. I pray my translation out loud to God. I speak it, and in those murmurs, I sense the still voice of God quietly speaking, authenticating his word, telling me of his love, delight, and good pleasure. Throughout this book, you will notice many passages whose references are noted as SWP. 
They are my personal paraphrases and translations, the results of my own scriptural meditations over the years. They are my attempts to explain biblical meanings to the grandmother in me. Interact with scripture to grasp its truth. Our purpose and good pleasure is to understand God's word, his will, and his desire. It's to know what God has revealed about himself. In meditation, we meet the person who came to us in incarnate truth. We are in no way creating new scripture, nor do we want words that confuse or distort God's purpose. Someone once said, everything should be made as simple as possible but not simpler. We explain scripture in our own simple words, yes, but with the goal of understanding the truth in God's word, not of hiding or distorting its meaning. We want to find and uproot the unspoken Syox beliefs in all of us, not nurture them. To make sure our paraphrases faithfully reflect God's word, it's wise to check them against commentaries and other resources because we want to know truth. BibleHub.com includes many study tools, such as cross-references, word studies, contextual summaries, and commentaries. As we pray back our paraphrases to God and to our souls, we echo David's prayer, quote, my Lord, may every utterance of my lips and the quiet whispers of my heart be delightfully acceptable and truthful in your presence. Psalm 1914, SWP. Meditation of any sort changes us. In the second original Star Trek movie, The Wrath of Khan, the crew of the Enterprise faces a genetically engineered, unnaturally powerful tyrant who has escaped a 15-year exile. Khan is intent on exacting his revenge on Captain Kirk, who originally imprisoned him. During his exile, Khan has brooded over, meditated on, revenge. He has read and reread the book Moby Dick until his copy is in tatters. At the end of the movie, he quotes from the book, shouting, From hell's heart I stab at thee. Khan became what he meditated on. He became the fanatical, vengeful Captain Ahab. All deep, intense thinking, be it brooding, worrying, pondering, or meditating, shapes us. It forms and reforms who we are at our deepest level. Meditating remakes us in the image of our deepest thoughts. That's why softcore porn addicts so often escalate to hardcore porn or adultery. It's why fashion devotees spend more money than they can afford on clothing they can't even use. The heart-changing nature of meditation is why advertisers spend billions of dollars on imagination-grabbing television ads. Their video images commandeer our minds. We think of Apple Watches and plasma TVs, and we rush out to buy something unheard of and unneeded a generation ago. Psalm 1 promises that those of us who meditate on Scripture become like resilient trees that weather the droughts and storms of life. 
when we meditate on God's word, we grow solid, significant, and strong. Conversely, those who meditate on anything else become hollow shells, the husks of seeds, empty and insignificant, blown around by every latest puff of wind. Everyone meditates. Everyone thinks in dreams. We can't help it. We are thinking creatures. C.S. Lewis challenges us, quote, You are not, in fact, going to read nothing. If you don't read good books, you will read bad ones. If you don't go on thinking rationally, you will think irrationally. If you reject aesthetic satisfactions, you will fall into sensual satisfactions. End of quote. And I add to Lewis's quote, if you don't meditate on God's words of substance, you'll meditate on unsatisfying chaff. We will always meditate, either on the reality of God or on our next job promotion. But only one subject of meditation calms our hearts. Quote, I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing on the subject of the Godhead. J.I. Packer Through meditation we speak and are spoken to. We meet the life-changing reality of God. Tell others. Meditating on the word doesn't happen the same way for me every time, and certainly not with the same intensity. Sometimes I'm stirred by verses in the first passage I read, and I skip the rest of the passages in my daily reading plan. Other days, most days really, I finish all the passages in my plan, and I ask myself which of all those verses I read stirred me the most. Then I return to those verses. I meditate, murmur, rephrase, and gaze. Once we hear God speak, we share what we hear. The best way for us to adopt a truth in our heart is to express it to another, our spouse, friend, colleague, or even that stranger on the bus. What began in our mind descends into our heart. And then with our mind again, we articulate with words the wordless vision of God. C.S. Lewis said, quote, We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. End of quote. Elsewhere, Lewis says, quote, except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere, praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. End of quote. That is what we do as we murmur God's words back to him. We are praising him, making our inner health audible. And in that audible speaking, we hear God's voice, 